The first thing you should know about my friend Mrs. Philholm is that she reminds me of the catcher in the rye. Not the book, but the actual catcher. In the words of Holden Caulfield, I keep picturing all these little kids playing some game in this big field of rye and all. Thousands of little kids and nobody's round. Nobody big, I mean, except me. And I'm standing on the edge of some crazy cliff. What I have to do, I have to catch everybody if they start to go over the cliff. I mean, if they're running and they don't look where they're going, I have to come out from somewhere and catch them. That's all I'd do all day. I'd just be the catcher in the rye and all. The next thing you should know is that Mrs. Philholm isn't a cynical young man who bitches about phonies. She's a 50-year-old author who's out there in the rye with her gloves on, catching the wayward kids and teaching others how to do the same. Her book is called Beyond Mama Bear, and you can find it on Amazon.com. Way to go make me cry in the open. Okay, gosh darn it. The first thing you should know about my friend Andrew is that he's easy like Sunday morning. Hours hanging out with him slip by. Brunching, basking, talking, or adventuring, Andrew's up for anything, makes the best of everything, and rarely makes waves unless he's pushing me off my paddleboard. He's one of those friends with whom there's no real need to plan or make a schedule, because whatever happens when we're hanging out is bound to be spontaneous and great. The next thing you should know about Andrew is that lately, things are a little less easy. He's got more commitments and a lot of things going on, and of course, a real relationship with his wonderful girlfriend to tend and enjoy. It's not difficult, but it's different. Now we have to schedule our weekly conversations. I guess for now, Andrew is easy like Thursday afternoon. (laughs) Welcome to Half My Age, a weekly show in which a 25-year-old adult and a 50-year-old child help each other make sense of the world. Got it. All right, got it. Put it in a can. Like uh, it's like Merlin Man always says, got it in one. Got it in one. That was actually two. <laughs> Okie dokie. Well, Andrew, how are you? I'm doing well, Mrs. Philholm. How are you? What's going on at the dollhouse this week? Boy. Boy. A lot of stuff. It's kind of a weird week. Weird week. A little bit of a weird week, Andrew. Turns out that um boy, <laughs> being divorced in fifty, it's just makes everything's just real weird. Everything's real weird out there, Andrew. <laughs> Still, still a lot of new experiences. What you, you need, like a, a um, you need like a divorce version of a baby book, like divorcees oh, first, first God. whatever. That's not a bad idea. We've talked about doing that sort of thing for parents of teenagers mm-hmm. because it could be very funny and cynical. Like first traffic ticket, first minor in possession, <laughs> first call from the principal's office, or whatever. Sure, that's a good idea for a divorce lady book. The year that is good because it, it, it's sort of about that. It's sort of about marking a lot of things. You, you better um, you better get on that before this episode airs because we've got some some well uh, well connected listeners mm-hmm. who, who might steal that idea right right from under you. Really good point. Trademark doesn't matter. I'll make it before <laughs> they do. I bet you. <laughs> um, I think that's a great idea because it's true. I'm getting upon. This is going to come out in the month of July, and so this is the month where I knew I was getting a divorce, and so I'm about to enter the year of... Happy anniversary. Those firsts. Yeah, thanks. I think it's... You know what's weird is that just to think of... Ha, ha, the reali- the reason I realized it is because I went to the bank, the little branch of the bank, where I opened my first single lady ch- account, and it kind of made me weepy because I thought <laughs> I went there like... Oh my God. Like so scared out of my mind. I could, I feel like I could barely walk and I did not know what was ahead for me. And I mean, I still don't, we never do. But then I go, gosh, we're closing in on a year of that. I didn't even know this house existed. I didn't know all of these new people from my divorce club existed. What? Yeah. Maybe it is something to celebrate. Look it's how much been a year. Changed. Yeah. And it, and I love this house. I love it. You got a fancy new gift from Rafiki. Oh, I did. Oh that might gosh. have to be our show art this week. I thought so. I thought about it. Right. So Rafiki, who's awesome, who is still oh so mad about her broken foot, but doing great. She called me over last night. She and her granddaughters and daughter have purchased me a housewarming gift. And here's a lovely card here. I have it here. It's beautiful. And it says, a new home is more than just a new place. It's a new beginning filled with new laughs, new hopes, and new happiness. Couldn't be more excited for you. And then she wrote, welcome to the hood, (laughs) which I love. 
And um, then she said, Andrew, your dollhouse was designed for you. Enjoy. She also told me recently she has been here her whole life and she has known every family who's owned this home and lived here and no one has ever fit it more perfectly than I. Isn't that a weird, that's a funny thing to say. Anyway, she and her granddaughters and daughter have made for me a sign that says Lisa's dollhouse and it's pink. That's so sweet of them. It's so sweet. I cried about that too. I just weep a <laughs> lot. Had, had a very, a very weepy week. I really have. Um, your open today made me weep because it's true about Holden Caulfield. I wish I could save them all. Um, yeah, so that was amazing from Rafiki and her family. And she said, I was just waiting to get you the perfect, perfect housewarming gift. And this was it. And it is. Isn't that cool? It is cool. What a, what a great neighbor you found. And the flowers that keep happening here in this yard every single day is a hot, hot surprise. And I can't, I can hardly stand it. Every day there is a new flower blooming. Oh my God, it's so beautiful. I love it. <laughs> I don't have to do much about those flowers. I sure have to do a lot about the yard. After you left last week, I mowed my yard in Rafiki's yard and I... Ugh. That's good yoder one because she mowed your yard. Sure did. You got the seventy year old lady next door oh doing all your yard work. Mm -hmm. And it was really hard and long. And uh, since then, I have engaged a That's lawn. What she said, "Cut it, <laughs> Andrew." Nailed it. Polite. Got it in one. <laughs> I um, I've engaged a lawn cutting service starting next week. I'm going to have to mow one more time, probably tonight. Um, I can't stand it. That is not how I want to spend my hour. What is it? What does it cost to have the the dollhouse mowed? Thirty five dollars. 35? Mm -hmm. That's insane. How can you afford not to have a lawn service? Right? Because then it's also the trimming and the cleaning up and it's going to look amazing. I'm not even that good at mowing the lawn and I hate the trimming and all that. Also, I don't have to buy a new mower because that's on the horizon. If, I mean, really, in order to make this at all pleasant for myself, I'd have to buy a new mower. I, I, I Yeah, I, I think I can't not, oh, I'm doing it. Doing it happily. Can't wait to not mow my lawn. <laughs> Tonight might be the last time. So we'll celebrate that anniversary too. Love it. Um, what else is up with you? Well, you mentioned that I have all these commitments now. Mm. And uh, it seems like it seems like when it rains, it pours. It all happens at once. As a, as a freelancer who works from home, mostly for one client, I don't have a lot of meetings or calls or anything. And this week I had a lot of, a lot of calls and interviews and things. Um, and then I also had, uh, Delaney and I went to a concert on Tuesday. Oh my God, I forgot about that. How was that? It was great. It was great. We, um, I've got a friend who lives near Red Rocks and we were sitting up near the top and I took a picture and I said, I can literally see your house from here. And he's like, oh wait, you're here? So, uh, we, we ran into a buddy and we went and sat with him and his sister and we had a, we had a fantastic time. Oh, that's was, amazing. It was a really good concert. I'm, I'm embarrassed by the band. The, the band is called Rainbow Kitten Surprise and I don't want to, I don't want to, say those words aloud it's kind of kind of icky kind of right. gross right. but but their music was good and they really put on an amazing show but we'll, we'll have to talk about this a little bit more when i think of amazing concerts mm -hmm. there's usually a lot of like audience interaction mm. and that kind of energy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and these people they played a whole set almost never acknowledging that the audience existed but oh, they were having so much fun on stage oh. they were you know some seriously big dance moves uh-huh um, it was, it was a blast to watch and it was, it kind of redefined what a good concert could be for me. Cause I, I thought there had to be a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, they yell, we yell, they yell kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, but, but this was totally different and it was amazing. I, I would strongly recommend that, uh, for our listeners who are in other cities that may be on this tour, that they, that they go listen. I was going to ask you what you meant by a good show and then told me, I love it. What, when you say big dance moves, do you mean choreographed? It's a show? Mm. Or, or I don't know this band no, at all, I, and I, I forgot to look them up. They, they're kind of an indie band, um, and it wasn't. It didn't seem choreographed. It wasn't like Michael Jackson, Britney mm -hmm. okay, Spears okay, kind of dance okay. moves. It was just uh, the the lead singer. He's he's a uh, he looks like a millennial. He's got a, a shaved head and a humongous yeah. lumberjack beard, and he was doing the like uh, like kicks that are oh uh huh just crazy crazy Eddie Van Halen kind of style maybe stuff. <laughs> and it was it was just fun to watch and he was getting into it with the uh the rhythm guitar guy and then they've got a, a bassist who who just like spins in circles the whole time just are they like a jam band no where they're just jamming and having their own fun no mm -mm. no they were i mean even so also when i when i think of a good concert i think about the the music is um 
familiar, but it's not exactly like it sounds on the CD. Mm-hmm. And these guys, they kind of stuck to the CD, but they were just out there having a good time while they did it. it, it Boy, was... that's delightful. I often think I what you're getting at that I love is seeing a band having so much fun, right? Mm-hmm. I love it. And I think oftentimes people complain that they, well, I, I know some people who complain, which I think is weird, about like they played all their new stuff or they didn't play the album. You know, we wanted to hear all the, the, the songs we know. I'm like, God, I always try to tell people, do you know how much they are sick of that by that moment? And if they can, if they can play their album, which delights the crowd and enjoy it themselves, that seems like they're in a sweet, sweet spot and enjoying their tour. I love that. Yeah. And you and I, I think we connected at some point about, uh, we're both fans of Dave Matthews' band. <laughs> and the big thing there is what covers did they play I know, that night? I know. What songs came out that we weren't expecting from them? And those are always my, I mean, of course, that's the favorite. That's the, yeah, exactly. Like, and because then you know they are just purely having fun and that's a choice that they made for this set list. Maybe even they made it today. So I kind of love it seeing other bands, seeing bands do covers or new stuff or, or jamming, whatever, just because they're having fun, right? Um, so that's interesting. That seems like a really, uh, happy little band there and I'm happy for them because touring has got to be a grind and performing the same crap day in and day out can really be a grind and you've got to find ways to make it fun for yourself. So I love that you think they were having fun. So that, uh, you know, I, this seeing this show at Red Rocks comes after a long Red Rocks dry spell for me and actually next week, no not next, well I don't know when this is going to come out in the uh, in the actual you said this was going to come out in July. I don't think it is, is it? I don't know. I don't really know what day it is. No, no, it's not. Well, I think it's the first day of July is Film on the Rocks, and they're showing Top Gun, and I'm going to be there. So if this episode comes oh, out are? before then, and people are listening and paying attention, <laughs> uh, they should absolutely go buy tickets and say hi to me at Top Gun at I, Film on the Rocks. I kind of want to go to the one next week, which never mind the timing of that, but it's a different film. Um, you're going to go to Top Gun. I like Film on the Rocks. That's pretty fun. Uh, when there's always good local comedians opening. I know one of them who's going up soon. That's kind of why I want to go. But here's the thing. Hmm. I guess I'm old now because the thought of actually going to Red Rocks kind of breaks my heart. I, I mean, I've done it. I did it last year. In fact, we saw Blues Traveler on 4th of July. And I think that was what did. I just, oh my God, by the end of the night, I am so tired. Um, ugh. And then you got to walk down the thing and then you got to sit in the traffic and go home. I don't care how you're doing it. There is just a long journey, very late at night. But I feel the same way about, um, I really used to like the Colorado Shakespeare Festival and I haven't been in a great long while. And they're doing Twelfth Night this year, which is just a funny show. And I bet they're doing a great job of it. It's just such a cool experience. It's outdoors. Have you ever done it? Never. It's so beautiful and fun. I mean, it truly is an experience while you're there that is just enjoyable. And then I have to get home at 11 o'clock at night from Boulder, but I can't even. (laughs) Like, I'm not kidding. It's preventing me from going and doing some sort of wonderful public activities this summer. I I can't stand it. You need need someone to drag you out. You need a a fun consultant Mm -hmm. who, who calls you and makes you feel bad about staying at home. I don't necessarily think I'm just staying at home, though. I mean, I'll go out and do comedy way too late at night, but I mean, it's like... 15 minutes to get home. It's the schlepping and it's the being out far away with, I mean, a Red Rocks concert, you're often rained on, you have all that gear. Oh my God, it just is exhausting. It's not that I'm just staying in. I've been out and about a lot. Went to an arts festival last weekend. Where was that? Down on Broadway-ish, you know. Yeah, what'd you see? Platt Park, I suppose. Oh, I bought a thing for my bedroom. I'll show you. I bought a beautiful piece. I bought a beautiful piece of welded metal. We had talked about it on our last show. In fact, or two shows before that, um, I met this really, really cool local artist who welds, and she is really cool, and I liked her a lot, and she has open studio times when you can come up and see her studio, and she was telling me all about the huge, huge studio she just built in Longmont with a kiln and welding things, and I was going, I have a tiny little postage stamp of a studio, but I'm feeling you, lady, and so I bought a piece of hers, and I love it. That's cool. Is it is it something that hangs on the wall or yep. stands on? Something? Hangs on the wall. It's a mirror. It's a mirror, um, and the frame is metal, and it has two little clay birds on it. Put a bird on it. You've got uh, you've got a thing with mirrors. You love mirrors. You've got a wall, uh, room full of mirrors. I guess I didn't. I don't say I love mirrors. In fact, the f- I once considered. You, you didn't say it. You uh, you demonstrated. I did. You, you, you live it every single day. Uh, correct. You but... walk around with an attitude that just says I love mirrors. <laughs> but until this house, I never would have. That wouldn't. 
be true. Um, and in fact, once when I was on the Score Project, I when I was writing for the Score Project, I uh, Kim met a woman who lived in a house that had a whole wall of mirrors. And I remember saying, I want to interview her. I want to talk about it because this idea of I was trying to get over a lot of self body image stuff with just going, I'm enough, just wear the skirt, just, it's okay to look in the mirror, that's who you are. And now it's true. I have a floor to ceiling mirror in one of the tiny rooms of the dollhouse that came with the house. And then I have installed, yeah, across from it, a mirror. And none of that's funny. I, I would not have ever said that I like mirrors. You know, you know what other famous place in addition huh. to the dollhouse on Shakedown Street has a, uh, has a hall of mirrors? Penn and Teller's house? Versailles. Your, your house is just like Versailles. Of course. <laughs> well, it really is. No, but that is actually kind of funny. You're right. I walk around every single day and have to look at myself full body in a lot of different mirrors. And, huh, that might be just a big, huge shift in my life that I didn't realize had happened. Because, I, because like I said, five years ago, the thought of living in a house with a floor-to-ceiling mirror in a room was so awful sounding to me that I really wanted to interview this woman and go, what's it like? Is it taught? What has it taught you about just being yourself? And now I live it every day and it's like, yeah, whatever. There, there I am. There's the mirrors. Huh. I don't know. That's well, funny. I have a new one. That's funny. It's, it's probably, um, evolved. You know, I'm sure when this house was built, it did not have a, uh, full wall of mirrors, but at some point, point someone got the bright idea to have it maybe they wanted to have an in-house yoga studio maybe they wanted uh maybe no, they it's wanted just an ikea studio. cabinet remember it's on the outside of my closet so they just but picked it it uh, it stayed it exists today because yeah. it uh it makes your house look so much bigger twice as big mm-hmm. that's the secret to decorating a tiny space is i get any in that funny lots of mirrors all right there we go house of mirrors <laughs> that, i don't like that implication house of mirrors I what's that what so is that like a horror film? What is that? No, I think just in general, like a fun house of mirrors. It, it feels mm. like that you know, thing, and nothing is what it appears to be t- topsy turvy. Um, sure. And then, yeah, is there a sinister quality that maybe it is a horror movie or like a Scooby Doo episode? Uh, traditional attraction at fun fairs and amusement mm-hmm. parks, but they seem scaryish to me. No, I, you know, they reflect you. Have you seen? Have you ever stood in front of a fun house mirror? I have. That uh, makes you tall and fat. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I've yeah, done that things. before. So that's that. That would be house of mirrors. Yeah. Seems, seems pretty cool. Hey, I have a little a thought, a bit of sort of, it's not really follow-up. It's a new topic. Okay, hit me. But it's follow-up from when we were planning this podcast. Back in October, you met my cousin, Nicole. Do you remember that? darling Nikki and she suggested we were proposing the idea of half my age and we were I think maybe even practicing at that point and forming the show and Nikki suggested that to honor it we should get tattoos matching tattoos something (laughs) half you get half and I get a whole of something and I think we should talk about our matching tattoo plans I'm not getting any kind of tattoo I know Andrew that's what's funny about it is that you're the the never of it happening (laughs) All right. well I guess that's a way to kill a conversation that was a real not yes and I'm sorry. What tattoo should you get? It's just a, it's a, a little too hole. close to home. Some someone close to home got a got a tattoo recently Who? and had a bad tattoo mean? experience. A bad experience? Oh, yes. No. And it just you know I've always I've always been uh, kind of anti-tattoo in general. Oh, I know. And that just solidified it. It's, what? Do you, okay. As much as you are comfortable saying, keep the person. You don't have to tell me. What do you mean a bad tattoo experience? Um. So I've never had a tattoo. I don't know how it's exactly supposed to work. But uh, this one, it sounds like they did more tattooing in one session than they ought to have. Ooh. And there was lots of blood Ooh. and there was lots of Ooh. discomfort. Oh, is it a big tattoo? I don't think so. It's not a, uh, I've only seen it in pic- cell phone pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, you know. I mean, was a- that a very complex thing that needed to be done in several sessions? I've only ever had one tattoo session, you know, at a time. I, 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 I don't I don't know enough about tattoos to, to say, but it seems like... It's uh, bloody and gross. Yeah, it seems like this tattoo should not have caused as much pain and consternation as it did. Was the tattoo bad? I mean, ill done. I think it's fine. I think it probably looked like what they, what they had in the notebook. Well, that's not really a bad tattoo experience. It's just bloody and it hurts. Yeah, that's a bad tattooing experience. Yeah, it sucks. I mean, right, okay. But I thought you were going to tell me some spectacular story of it going wrong and, you know, somebody misspelling a name on an arm or something funny like that because that would be, to me, a bad tattoo experience. I'm, I'm always interested in the, um, 
the like Asian character tattoos. Oh, I know. Or I, I'm, I'm, I, I, any cultural appropriation of any kind. I, I got to wonder how many people are walking around with the word soy sauce on their arm in, uh, in Japanese. I know. I know. I mean, and seriously, and you got to wonder what, yeah, what kind of cultural implications when you take, or even a Celtic band that you think is sort of vaguely from your heritage. You know what I mean? What sure. does that even mean? You don't know. Um, oh, I had some earrings in high school that had a little Asian character on them. I mean, they were, I purchased at a store. They were very nice earrings and I kind of loved them. And I once ran into a, th- I think it was Chinese, a woman who told me that it meant flat. Flat. The symbol on my earrings that was hanging down. I mean, I had not, it was certainly not intentional. There was no reason to have an earring that said flat. Some jewelry designer had, yeah, pulled a they thought it was random pretty. character and thought it was pretty. And it was pretty, but yeah, that's she said, yes, it means flat. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I go, wow, that's, yep. Yeah. I mean, at least it's not offensive. At least, yeah. It's just stupid. So uh, if I had said yes and, and we were going to talk about the tattoos yeah. we were getting. Well, it was pretty that... good that you, you, the reason you don't want to get one was a pretty good story. Yeah, I don't know. What should we get? We're not going to, I guess. That's all you came with? Yeah. You, yeah. You wanted me to take it and run with it. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. So we're going to get it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't Half even... moon and full moon. Half my age. You could get a half and I could get a one. 50 and a 25. There's nothing. It's dumb. It's a dumb I, idea. I feel and like the, a, uh, a moon is definitely like a, a college girl thing to get yeah. tattooed on yourself. That sounds very CU Boulder to me. I suppose. Especially a half moon. I think... What's it's so, a, the Gamma Phi Beta Crescent. It's a, it's a mm, sorority thing. Mm. I'm not walking around with a Gamma Phi moon on me. I know you're not. You're not walking around with any tattoo on you. Mm-mm. I like tattoos. I like tattoos as art. I like tattoos on bodies mostly other than mine. I don't really like that... As much as I like living in a house of mirrors, I don't like any part of my body enough to really want to show it off with a tattoo. But I like tattoos quite a lot. I, you, I like you've them. got some. You've got some ink. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about it? I got that dumb one on my wrist that I had to cover as a Catholic school teacher, and now I just kind of routinely cover. And that is a yeah, that's been a bunch of things. It was a little vine when I was 19 years old. I got that right on my wrist, and. My mother and my friend's mothers, you know, they were saying, why can't you girls get your tattoos in places that you can hide them? And we went, because we want them to show. It was completely adolescent, (laughs) truculent, really fucked the man. I mean, it really was just because it's right out here. And when will I ever, I can cover it with makeup if I ever have a part to play for theater. That was all I was ever thinking about. Then over the years, I added to it and I added three roses and hmm, fine. Then it got old because I don't you know, take care of my skin and I'm in the sun a lot. So then it, it just looks old and withered and eh, whatever. It's a tattoo on my wrist. So it just kind of discolors and it's not very pretty. I mostly cover it with um, bracelets. And then I have a tattoo on my butt that nobody gets to hear about. No, what? <laughs> That's a secret tattoo. <laughs> I do have a t- so there you go. Mom, I got a tattoo on my place that it won't show in public. <laughs> you knew that, right? Well, that's what I thought you were going to tell us about that one. No way. I forgot that you had one on your wrist. <laughs> you did? Okay, so you, all right, you know about that. I'm not going to talk about it. That's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> and no one sees it, including me, except if I look behind me in my wall of mirrors, hall of mirrors. <laughs> I had a, a buddy who I, uh, mm. I studied with in Prague, and he had a long, I think it was a Mark Twain passage tattooed on his side. Oh, sure. And I asked him about it. And he says, yeah, it doesn't really make a lot of sense because I never get to see it. Like if, I, if I'm mm-hmm. looking down at it, it's upside down. And if I look at it in a mirror, it's backwards. This kind is like, how I feel about my ba- backside tattoo. Why, yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Who is, it, 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 now I'm 50 and single. Who even is it for? Just, just me and I can't see it. Literally, it's weird. And if I do see it, it's in the mirror, so it's backwards. It's got writing on it, so it's ba- stupid. I know, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Yeah, your generation is that side, quotes on the sides... Quotes on the rib cage. They're and also foot tattoos are super, foot tattoos super are very popular big. among the ladies. And also big old thigh tattoos. Middle of the thigh tattoos. I suppose it depends which circles you run in. Holy cow, I've seen that a lot. <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot. And maybe, yep, I mean, I'm seeing even just people walking down the street. That one surprises me. Yeah, those are, those are massive. Massive, and often it's just a part of them coming down that you can see. I don't know. Those ones sort of shock me a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'd l- I'd love to know how those things age, right? Because your, your thigh is a part of you that expands and contracts quite a bit depending on your... Uh, Seems like it. The rib cage even more to me. I'm thinking of that pregnancy and beyond. 
Ugh. Oh, man. I mean, for real, the ribcage tattoo was alarming to me for that reason. But I know. I wonder how they age, too. Well, they all age pretty badly, unless they're on your bum, because that one doesn't see sun or anything. So I'm sure it isn't just beautiful shape, but I wouldn't know. Yeah, but... It's a mystery. Uh, yeah, but... But <laughs> it also it also has the same issue of uh, expanding and contracting. Probably, I mean, that's uh, the, the butt is a place where people carry weight. Uh, I, I can see that having... I don't want to talk further about the size of my ass. I'm not talking about yours. I'm talking about butt tattoos in general. All right. That concludes the (laughs) tattoo segment. Thanks for the um, idea, cousin Nikki. We're not doing it. (laughs) What are you doing with your hands there? I'm just holding my pop filter. You're holding it. It's like, I just see the tops of your fingers over the tops of our thing. In uh, in Talladega Nights, he says he doesn't know what to do with his hands when they've got the microphone in his face, and I don't know either, so I'm holding on to my pop filter. Interesting. Very interesting. Ooh, uh, I told you in a previous episode that there was a guy in the neighborhood who puts a flag of the day on... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I met him. You did? Yeah, he's my neighbor. I met him. I was out walking around on a Saturday, and I met him, and he, this week, he is, or this, maybe the whole month, he was telling us he has all of these flags. He has one for a year, and he has them stored in a kind of credenza thing, and now he thinks he's going to probably start selling them off because it just is has become weirdly obsessive. and Taking so, over all his space. He's, he yeah. looks like a hoarder, but all he I has are flags. flags. And he's telling about, about himself. It's hilarious. And this, at least for a week, but maybe for a full month, he's doing pride flags because it's pride month. And he had the Texas pride flag and, and I've seen it. He's been, And then he gives a great description of each flag. And there's a word for like flag study, I think that anyway, it's very cool. It's very interesting to meet the actual person who does that. And he's just, yep, absolutely just a hobby that he does. I'm interested in uh, flags as communication, like uh, mm. nautical flags. Semaphore. I've, I've never, uh, I've never investigated that too heavily, but I think it's interesting. As a child, I used to draw pictures of those semaphore flags. I know. Let's look it up. I love that idea. I know. <laughs> um, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know I, what we should talk about before we what? get into to flags? No. We yes, should talk probably. about how that guy even knows which flag to put up uh, based on the day. How, how he knows what day it is. Because he's probably got a fancy watch, don't you think? Yeah, no, he seems like a fancy watch kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He really does. I wonder if he got it from Flaneur. I also wonder. I'm going to walk down the street someday and ask him. Uh, he's got to know. I, I guess that uh, the, we're, we're still doing this this ad read, which means there's still people in the world who don't know about Flaneur watches. Tell them all about it, Andrew. Can you believe that, Mrs. Phil? No, Holm? I can't believe it. Who are they? What do they do? What are you talking about? Well, Flaneur is an independently owned and operated watch dealer based in Denver, Colorado. Specializing in rare and vintage mechanical watches, Flaneur prides itself in being the absolute best option to buy, sell, and trade watches. You will not find higher cash offers, lower consignment fees, or better customer service anywhere. They promise to give you the time and care that your watch deserves every time. Trust us, trust them, trust them with your watch buying and selling process, and we will treat you, they will treat you as family. <laughs> I won't, I'm not gonna. Visit <laughs> www.flanurwatches.com today to find out more. And that's Flanur, Foxtrot, Lima, Alpha, November, Echo, Uniform, Romeo, watches.com. Flanurwatches.com. Well, done once again. They treat you like family. They treat everybody like family because that's exactly. just how they are. Pronouns don't matter, Andrew. It's all a fluid thing. Pronouns do matter, but I mean, we don't want to be... It's okay. You messed up the pronouns. They treat you like family. They will find you a watch. They will buy your watch. <laughs> it's actually a beautiful website that they have. I like it. Any I like to go on there and updates look on... I'm getting tired of asking, but are there any updates on your watch quest? I'm not really getting tired of asking. Is there anything new there? Because that's a big boy decision. Nothing new yet. I'm I'm looking at some other watches because I really don't want to pay 750 mm-hmm. bucks for a watch that only costs 175 And that's still what's happening out there with that one. Isn't that funny? Yeah. And it's it's insane. Um, you know, there. If if this watch that I was looking at was super vintage and cool if it was actually from the 70s i might right. consider paying that kind of premium for it sure but they literally just released it yeah that's really interesting what a cool thing to make that to make a tickle me elmo doll like that and cabbage patch panic and just cause a, i wish our podcast would go viral like that i was surprised though i looked uh i i was looking at timex's website because this watch we're talking about is a uh a, a reissue of the original timex uh, cool graphics on that site huh and I had no idea that the um, the Timex brand has actually existed for 165 years. Oh, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Doesn't surprise me. 
seems like that kind of a thing. I guess I just thought it was always there. Um, so you're looking at some other watches too. Anything exciting? Anything on FlanorWatches.com that you're looking at? I'm looking at watches kind of in the price range of that Swatch. Like uh, yep. somewhere between $100 and $500. And you want um, something that is mechanical? Not anymore. I thought oh. I wanted a mechanical watch, but then, so my, my previous watch, the oh, one I'm replacing broke, right. is a uh, Seiko 5, which is kind of a, if you, if you spend any time on watch Reddit, the, the subreddit for watches, mm-hmm. you'll see a lot of these Seiko 5 mechanical watches because they're automatic watches that are really inexpensive for what they are. So you can get, you can get a self-winding automatic watch first, you know, right, right in that price range, mm-hmm. uh, 100 to $500. And... I had this watch. I wore it every day. I beat the living heck out of it as much as you can when you work on computers. I wasn't uh, I wasn't hammering nails with the thing, but um, I, I bashed it up against some walls just walking by, you know. <laughs> and now this uh, this watch, I think it was a gift from Delaney, and I think she spent a couple hundred bucks on it. Now it needs a three hundred dollars service. Yeah, no, you told us that. It's very disappointing. So I'm I'm looking now at uh, quartz watches, which. Uh, have the the side benefit not only are they more more sturdy and durable but they also keep better time so it's not uh, it's not really the watch person's watch a quartz watch the in general right. watch people like automatic watches but uh i think right now at this time in my life i can afford a really good quartz one but mm-hmm. i can't afford a really mm, good gotcha. I see. automatic one i see now when you are looking at watches is there how much of it is like hand feel and weight can you buy a watch online Without ever having seen it, or do you need to touch that thing and put it on your wrist? How much of it that matters to you? The the last one I bought, it was uh, sight unseen, ordered off Amazon, and I don't mind doing that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, the fortune, I mean, watches are one of those things where they uh, the people who buy them are super interested in all the measurements and details. Mm-hmm. So um, it's pretty easy to figure out how big this thing's going to be. You can't tell how it feels in your hand, mm-hmm. but. I mean, all the metrics are there. If you wanted to cut out a template and put it on your wrist, you could see what it would look like. Oh, sure. Um, I just was looking at templates of the size of screw heads today. So, I mean, yeah, you can do that. <laughs> but, I mean, and maybe with a watch, it's not so important how it actually looks on your wrist. Do you know how it's going to look on to, your wrist? To some like people, it may be different. It. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Interesting. Well, Andrew, I wish you good luck on your quest for a big boy watch. It just feel, When you say that you're looking at these watches, does that mean you're like... Spending a lot of time on FlanorWatches.com, browsing or looking at watches elsewhere and then thinking about asking Flanor, will you find me this watch? How does that work? Both. I mean, for the the watches that I'm looking for, um, the, the Timex is a fringe case. Um, in, in most cases, the ones I'm looking for are something that there's no shortage. You don't need someone special to find them for you. You could probably order it right off Amazon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you're not going to. You're going to use Flanor. I am because they got some contacts and they may be able to find me a better price. And I don't want to, you know, even if it's only a couple hundred bucks, I don't want to get screwed. And they might have a watch. They might get a watch in that price range that you really like. That's true. All right. Well, thanks, FlanorWatches.com, for believing in us and investing in our quest to be the world's greatest intergenerational podcast. You all should go to FlanorWatches.com right now. I was thinking about our uh, our podcast and all the things that we are. We're the, the number one intergenerational mm-hmm. podcast. We're the number one anti-homelessness podcast. Mm-hmm. We're the number one foot fetish podcast. And you don't think we deserve a couple of Reddit channels there, Andrew? Are they called <laughs> channels? What is it called on Reddit? I think they're called Threads? subreddit. Subreddit. They're definitely called that. Well, yeah, right, right there. We got three. Oh, we have so much. Why aren't you making people argue about us on Reddit? Could you get on that? I'm working on it real hard. By the time this comes out, maybe it'll be done. Um, vexillology is the field of study and the study of history, symbolism, and usage of flags. Vexillology. Has that got an X in it? Yes. Wow. A V-E-X. That's vexing, perplexing. It's from all of confusing. these words. Oh, it's a synthesis of the Latin word vexillum and the Greek suffix logia. Interesting. The so more you know. Study of flags and semaphore is interesting, Andrew. It's called vexillology. Did I mention that? <laughs> Isn't that cool? All right. What else you got? Right now I'm looking up semaphore. I, I know of the word semaphore from code. Oh, I see. They've got, actually, people should do this. You should Google semaphore and you should go straight to images, which is rarely good advice. What do you mean? But Why? you can see they've got um, how, how you make all these different letters. Uh mm-hmm. 
with with flags. Mm-hmm. I did not know that's what that was called. Oh yeah, that's the kind of stuff that I would study when I was a kid, and like draw different versions of like the signals, symbols, and then I guess I was kind of into vexillology because I also would draw painstaking drawings of different countries' flags and things. I just think flags are pretty interesting. This is this is interesting to me because it. Uh, I'm looking at all these pictures of little hand-drawn figures mm-hmm. with their flags pointed in different directions. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think of uh, cheerleaders. I know, it does. It looks like a card of cheerleaders. Yep. Give, give me a K. Give me an L. Give me an M. It's naval, right? Semaphore. Isn't it for boats? Or is it for airplanes, too? I don't know. That's got to be... That seems like... Well, I don't know. I can't say for sure. But I like on boats, I know they've got those nautical flags. And each each flag has a different meaning. So look that up. Maritime signal flags. Those are the ones I especially liked when I was a kid because look at all the fun little prints, designs. So cute. Which also reminds me, um, you, you look at those flags, they remind me of jockey silks and how every every um, stable has their own their own set of silks. I don't know about that. Yeah, that's true. Racehorses. Um, the clothes that the jockeys wear are custom put together for, for the owner, for the, mm-hmm. the stable mm-hmm. where this horse comes mm-hmm. from. It's like team colors. Yeah, it's yeah. super cool. Or tartan. Well, it's super cool. It's the same as it's the Colorado Rockies are purple and, you know, same thing. Yeah, but there's only one person on this team. Okay. Well, yeah, correct. At a time, I guess, participating. Okay, well, there you go. Uh, flags. I guess there's not much more to say about that. That was my follow-up. <laughs> um, I was listening. I was sending Wait, I sent some stuff on Slack, which you never pay attention to. But mostly I was just using it as my place to keep notes about stuff I thought was funny. Slack um, conversation for teens. What? Do you ever listen to <laughs> on uh, all, all the podcasts we listen to where they do ad reads for Slack? Uh, Merlin Man oh, yeah, jokes yeah, that it's yeah, it's yeah. Uh, conversation teens. for teens. Right, 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 right. Because if you're yeah, yeah, okay, I did. I haven't heard that for a while. Their ad for that. Um, but uh, the point was, I was listening to one of our favorite podcasts. What was I say? It must have been back to work. Right. I was listening to it one night, just, um, doing laundry and sweeping my floor. And I was cracking up like out loud laughing about so many things they were saying. They talked about the idea that we just talked about not wanting to go to Red Rocks and that whole thing. And I had literally just that day been going, I really want to go to that Colorado Shakespeare festival, but Oh my God, the thought of the, uh, the details. I mean, I even have people that I know would love to come with me, but it's, oh God, I can't. And they were talking about that. And I think it's a function of being old. They were, it was also a sort of function, I think that show about being prepared, which, you know, I really walk around thinking at any moment I need, might need to go swimming, stand on my head, fix a thing. So when you go to a concert and you're going to be walking and it just feels to me like so much preparation. Um, but really what I was what I came up with after listening to that and laughing out loud to myself. I mean, it was kind of myself because I was listening to my podcast friends, right? But do you remember the inverse law of humor that I've told you about? Sure, sure. I'm not exactly sure who... I did not invent this. I, I have an idea, but I'm, I don't want to give wrong credit. It's some friends of mine from my college ages and their family, my college age and their family, had this idea and I have adopted it as my own that, that you know, the inverse law of humor, that, that the funniness of a thing is inversely proportional, is that how you say it, to how many people think it's funny. So the least funny, funny thing, it's a funny thing, a joke that like Jay Leno would tell on the air is the least funny, funny thing because everybody, you know, millions of people laugh at it and think it's funny. The most funny thing in the world is the thing that you think of and makes you crack up all by yourself when you're in with nobody. So that's what I thought of when I was walking around cracking up all by myself in my house. <laughs> And now that I live alone and spend a lot more time alone, I find that I do that. I just suddenly realize, oh my gosh, I'm actually laughing, like kind of chuckling about a thing that I'm remembering, a funny thing my friend said three days ago. And because I'm alone a lot more, I guess it just feels like maybe those are the funniest things in the world. I'm having the funniest moments. Well, it's uh, podcasts are great for that because you have, I mean, for for the ones I listen to, I have no idea if if, uh, anyone else in my immediate circle is listening to them other than you. Right. I, I know you do. Um... And those those things that those inside jokes from the podcast are supremely funny to me because I don't hear them anywhere else other than this podcast, and I don't know if anyone else is going to get them. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know, and I'm constant. Uh, I have a problem with saying things. I don't think I've talked about it on this show, saying things like that that are so funny just to me or inside jokes, and then I kind of forget that not everybody knows them. There's one thing that I say in particular. It's from the movie. 
uh, Enough Said with Julia Louis-Dreyfus and James Gandolfini. And it's just this line. It feels almost like it was improvised by her. Um, They're meeting each other at a party. There's a group of people and, and a guy friend of hers says to the guy she's meeting right here, he's introducing him, and he says, she was just telling me that um, she's not attracted to anyone at this party, and the guy said, oh, is that unusual? And she's like, thanks a lot for saying that, whatever. So that's the that's the context. And then um, the man says, I'm not, to tell you the truth, I'm not attracted to anybody else here either. And she says, yeah, it's really kind of an ugly crowd. It's kind of an ugly cl- crowd, really, is what she says. And when I am taking photographs at an event, which I do at work, which I, do, <laughs> I say that sometimes to people, and I'm totally joking. It's usually, there's always like, I keep taking pictures at a, at a um, dinner events or events where you're eating, and I have just learned, put the camera down and don't try to take pictures of people while eating is going on. It's just, it's always going to wreck it. So it's usually at that point in the evening that I say to somebody else, you know, like the catering staff or the people that I'm hanging out with, not the party guests that I'm photographing, I'll say, yeah, it's an ugly cl- crowd, really. I mean, it's not an ugly crowd. And I say that and I go, no one, that's not, it, like literally no one is going to get that or pick that up that that's even a thing other than, why would I say that? And I'm doing it because it makes me laugh. I've got I've got a million of those little things that I picked up and I say all the time and I can't think of a single one right now. I mean, like strap strappy. I'm sure I've said strap, that, strappy, you know, like guy. to somebody out of context and just, they're, what is the rando lady? I need to quiz Delaney about this because uh-huh. she had to come up to speed very quickly on all the weird things, I, all the non sequiturs that come out of my mouth. Well, and the truth is that that is often where real friendships begin is when you can say something. I remember one time I think I fell in love with a man because I said, isn't it pretty to think so? And he got it. Because that's one of the things I say. And that's, of course, from um, A Sun Also Rises. Uh, the Sun Also Rises. <laughs> anyway, that's a line from that book. And I say that one all the time. Isn't it pretty to think so? And I remember uh, just like falling in love with a man in my 20s because he, he picked it up and I went, oh, okay, you got my weird little, yep, it's just my brain saying a thing. And then when you get it, it feels like connection. May or may not be. It does feel, I'm, I'm having such a hard time thinking of these things in my life. Well, I feel like you do them to me all the time. Well, I mean, last week you I did know. it, or two weeks ago you did it with um, Spanish Inquisition. Yeah. I didn't quite I think pick about it up. that often, the Spanish Inquisition, <laughs> as, as one does. I mean, we do um, Serenity Now. There's a lot of Seinfeld ones that most people get, but certainly not everybody knows it, right? And we're saying, and then I rained blows upon. It's funny that you're thinking of them. I feel like you have a ton of them and they're easy. And I'm sure, I'm sure I've, al- I've already said 10 in this yeah, podcast. Probably, exactly right. So, um, but that's the funniest thing in the world. And sometimes I kind of get in trouble because I say something that sounds way more offensive or or just so out of context that it feels offensive and it's just because i'm cracking like brain stop you know mouth stop saying every funny thought that mm-hmm. sometimes i have to, maybe have to close <laughs> not sometimes a lot of the time because i think i'm very funny and sometimes when i'm showing off and being funny it can hurt other people's feelings andrew speaking of showing off do you have a uh do you have a role model of the week for us yeah let's talk about um so my book is about being vigilant, parents being vigilant. It's about catching the, the kids near catching the cliff. Catching the kids near the cliff. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly right. So I'm going to start. I thought about that today. What should I start with? There's so many. Um, but I'm going to start kind of at the beginning. Uh, the book, as I've talked about, is split into, I, I figured out that the, the parents I admired, the ones who I thought kept their kids um, the most on the, safe on the path toward uh, adulthood, they know protect and honor their children. And I think that we do those things. If we do those things, we have a better chance at keeping our kids safe and our families intact and ourselves sane. Um, And sometimes you have to do all three of those things at once. And sometimes it's a discrete need for one or the other of those actions. And the role models are split up into those kind of categories. And the first one besides the Falcon, whom I discussed, is the private investigator. I think we need to know our kids by getting and staying vigilant and curious. And I mean, this is secret. It's like a a PI who's sneaking around. Um, You got to know what's going on with your kids. And this can be a difficult one for parents to hear because it's invasive. And I mean it, the parents I admire go and um, yeah, they clean their kids' messy rooms and they pull stuff out from under the beds and check between the mattresses and look through their phones and look through their pockets and things like that. They do. They they need to know what's going on with those kids. Borrow their cars or say, I'm going to fill your car up with gas for the express purpose of going through the glove compartment. Being a private investigator means, in my mind, again, none of this is convenient and we're exhausted and that's why it's hard. But like 
doing the drive-by just to make sure everybody is where they're supposed to be, or even sometimes crawling through bushes and looking into windows like, okay, up, all the kids are right where they're supposed to be. I mean it. I, I And, and <laughs> it makes some parents uncomfortable because of um, privacy, for one thing, and it Mostly that. It makes them uncomfortable and it feels invasive. And it is. And I'm going to say, you do this to the level that it needs to be done at the time. You know, I mean, that that is different than being so strict and so in their business all the time. They will naturally, teenagers will naturally force some privacy because they will start being more secretive and they don't want you to, they don't want to be um, naked in front of the family and things like that. So they that naturally start closing doors and um, growing into a certain uh, amount of privacy, which can also be secrecy. And again, if your kid is doing great, by all the measures and you really think then you probably don't need to be going through every bit of their life if you suspect your kid is in trouble and honestly usually your parental gut will tell you then you got to get real curious and so the role model is private investigator you're just collecting evidence you're not acting on it you're just collecting those notes and you're putting in a file and then then with that intel do you really know what's going on with this kid then you decide does this kid need to be protected? Do I need to step in right now and do something to help or protect or save or alter this child's path? Um, the cool thing about being a private investigator and watching them so hard is that sometimes you get to see the good they're up to also because teenagers are up to no good a lot of time, but they're up to an awful lot of good, often without um, ceremony and, and public affirmation. They are doing good things, and when we are paying attention to them, we get to see that too. There you go. Private investigator. Stay curious and put all those notes in the file so you can make a good decision about how to help them if they need it. Do you have a, a favorite private investigator? Mm, no. No? Do you? I like, uh, I like Hercule Poirot. I don't know who that is. Of Agatha Christie fame? I do not know Agatha Christie very well at all. Isn't that oh. funny? I don't know. No, when you ask that, so I'm you, like, you probably no. know like Inspector Clouseau. Well, right, of course. <laughs> Inspector Clouseau. And um, I talk about him in the book a little bit because of the ninja. Um, right. Uh, no, because I'm not, I've never been a kind of private eye detective. In fact, I, which makes that um, role model kind of funny because you think I maybe would have done a little bit more research on, but I didn't. I just looked up what is a private eye and made sure it was accurate. But no, I don't, I didn't read or was that, did you watch those movies? Agatha Christie or read those books? Both. Yeah. Both. We. I had to read Sherlock Holmes. I guess. Murder on the Orient Express mm -hmm. in eighth grade. Have and you that, seen that movie that, that was came great. out recently? Yeah, it's got Johnny Depp in it. It was good, right? It was pretty good. I saw it at the um, Elvis Theater, which is where you can go see a movie for a dollar, I think. Yep. And uh, so that that tells you the kind of movie it was. It clearly wasn't a big blockbuster, but it was a pretty good film. Well, the Elvis fine. Theater gets them late in the run. They get them late in the run, but they're also... Yeah, I don't think you're going to go see... Oh, I suppose like the big the, blockbuster. Right. Right, 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 right. But it was a good big movie. It was good. It's a great way... It it's a, The Elvis Theater is a great way to spend an evening. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, Especially... I can't imagine... I didn't discover this place until college. Mm -hmm. uh, but if I had known about that when I was in high school, what a... I mean, when I when I was had no money at all, what a, what a great place. I've been a big dollar movie theater person for a long time. If you can, it's great. Um, yeah, so no, I don't have a private investigator. I don't, yeah, I didn't really, that's not my favorite genre. And I mean, I read some Sherlock Holmes kind of because you had to and probably thought I should. Mm -hmm. But no, I'm not a real, I don't, I don't really get the genre. I might like it at this point in my life. It sort of sounds fun. It is Those fun. stories are often kind of campy almost. It's inconsequential. You don't have uh -huh. to. Yeah, uh, right. You know, like right now I'm reading... I'm reading the the James Bond novels. Uh huh. Uh, each one is like 250 pages. They just fly by. Cool. And it's it's a nice way to wind down after a day about uh -huh. uh, after a day of solving like code puzzles. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what I mean. It's like it's that sweet spot of like I use Parks and Rec, like the thing that doesn't make me think too much, but it's not complete pap, and it doesn't make me feel too much or make me laugh too hard or cry too hard. Mm -hmm. I think I read one James Bond novel once. Mm -hmm. I kind of remember that. Yeah, probably around your age. In fact, that's funny. Um, yeah, that's okay. So, you know, I'm always looking, especially at this point in my life, what is that background music, noise, podcast that's going to keep me occupied? And seriously, I I usually don't want to feel anything too deep right now. I don't want to, I don't want to watch a love story. I'll tell you that. Um, you know, but I also don't want to watch divorce stories. I'll tell you that. So I'm always looking for that sweet spot. 
Now, I want to talk to you about this because so many people in my life and in my podcasting life have been recommending Chernobyl. Have you seen that? No, I haven't seen it, but everyone, uh, I'm getting the same thing. Everyone's recommending Chernobyl. It was the, the place. Ah, I know it. It was, it was the rebound relationship that people needed after Game of Thrones. That's ended. what. That's exactly right. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm game because, you know, my fascination for Russian things. And I lived, I remember Chernobyl when it happened. I remember it affecting uh, school trips and stuff back in my day. Uh, when, as you once mentioned, because you like to insult me, um, where I thought that cultural diplomacy was, you know, bringing blue jeans to the Russians was very important to me. It really was. <laughs> anyway, so I think this is right in my wheelhouse, right? There's Russians, there's good actors. I'm going to watch this thing. A, don't know how to get it because it's an HBO thing and I don't pay for HBO and I already pay too much to not pay for television services. So I, I and so I started looking around like, how can I get it? Or can I just, of course, I can just buy that show, which I've done before. And then I went, wait a minute, I am now spending time thinking about, wondering about, investigating how to watch this thing, deciding if I should pay money for it. And all I keep hearing about this from people is that it messes them up. Like, it's not a light, trippy, airy little jaunt. It's mindfuckery and deep, and it sounds real good, but I don't think it's right for me in my life right now. Well, that's, that's a call that only you're qualified to make. I'm telling you. And uh, I think it's fascinating. I mean... This stuff like this, which is, from what I understand, it's it's pretty factually sound. Actually, there and it's I, like I conspiracy based and stuff, so it's like it makes like it's emotional. I, I had really? a um a headline come up in front of me the other day, and it said that Russia is making their or is making or has made their own Chernobyl HBO style series, mm-hmm. uh, where where Americans are to blame. How cool mm-hmm. is that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is like a this is like a big cultural turn political. Sure. Oh, see, thing. I am so interested in that. I'm interested in everything. But it, okay, a I think it takes watching. You have to sit and watch it, pay attention to it, which is as we have discussed, not my thing. And B, I don't think it's a thing to watch alone. Okay. I have been listening to my favorite murder podcast. I it really is delightful. I mean, I know that that is so. Whatever, I'm not going to apologize for it. It's awesome. It's a great podcast. It's hilarious. Um, I was going to say basic, but it's not. They're awesome. They're actually awesome. It's a great, great podcast. And and it's funny. It's a comedy true crime podcast, but it's still about murder. And I realized a couple of weeks ago, do not listen to that alone at night when you are you know, doing your crazy <laughs> crap, hanging the lights and doing all my stuff. Last night at a very too late hour, I was putting weather stripping on the top of my storm doors, both front and back to the house because I think flies have been getting in. I think they just zoom through mm-hmm. the like the the gap at the top. But my friend told me that that's not what they're doing. They're probably crawling through. But I like picturing that they're like diving in like fighter jet landings and zooming through the top. Anyway, I was putting that stuff up way too late at night and which required kind of having the door open in, you know, on Shakedown Street. It's all doesn't, it's not super safe, whatever. I'm doing fine. And then, but if I'm listening to a murder podcast, not good, not good, not good, not good for sleep. So I think if I'm going to do Chernobyl, I would like, I mean, I'm into all of that, but I think I need a watching partner. (laughs) You know what I mean? Either physically or not. Like maybe I just need someone to check in with because I feel like it's going to blow my mind and be scary. Well, fortunately, I mean, Chernobyl, you're you're not going to be worried about people breaking in and, and no. causing a ruckus in the dollhouse. You're just going to be worried about nuclear fallout. And yes, and conspiracy and trust in humanity. Yes, I'm going to be worried about the future. <laughs> I know. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I need a partner to watch that show with me, I guess. Or maybe one of our listeners is free. I'm just saying. They, and how would they find me? How would they find me if they wanted they, to they, volunteer to be my in absentia or virtual partner for the watching of and teach me how to get Chernobyl. They would have to email us at HMA. That's H is in. Hold on, I gotta pull up my phonetic <laughs> alphabet again. That's H is in hotel. M, ah, uh, fuck, shit, Mike. ass, Mike, <laughs> hotel, Mike, Alpha at Slova. That's Sierra, Lima, <laughs> Oscar, Victor, Alpha dot app, Alpha Papa Papa. I like nice. that. Alpha Papa Papa. Alpha Papa Papa. Like, oh. <laughs> what, uh, what, what fraternity were you in? I was in Alpha Papa Papa. Alpha Papa Papa. Papa. And, then, <laughs> and then our mascot could be John Popper from Blues Traveler. Oh, there you go. That'd be good. That'd be a good mascot. He looks kind of, uh, he looks kind of John Blues. Yeah, he kind of does, doesn't he? And I met animal him. housey. I hung out with him once at a thing. <laughs> I mostly hung out with his bass player, but we met him when they played it at a funny little concert in our neighborhood. Yeah, so John Popper, and he's going to be our mascot of Alpha Papa Papa. You were, um, I like that. while we were still talking about Chernobyl, uh-huh. maybe, maybe 
Jackie Kennedy. Oh, so here, here's my question for you. I was listening to another podcast, uh, Omnibus. We've talked about it before. Love it. And they were talking about, John Roderick and Ken Jennings were talking about oh, Li- yeah. Lily Pulitzer. Lily Pulitzer, of course, yeah. And they, Ken Jennings made this joke in there, and I had to, I had to rewind to make sure he really made it. Um, Lily Pulitzer, uh, she was a, a wealthy uh, heiress, and she went to finishing school with Jackie O., and then after finishing school, she went down to Florida and opened up a fruit stand. Mm-hmm. One day she spilled some some orange juice on her dress. And she's like, you know what? I really need a dress that it's okay to spill orange juice on. This thing doesn't exist. Let me make it. And then she came out with all these snazzy designs with busy patterns that you could spill orange juice on and nobody would notice. Mm-hmm. And she became famous because Jackie O wore her dress out in public. Mm-hmm. And Ken Jennings made the joke. He said, it's a shame that Jackie wasn't wearing one of these in Dallas. And then he says, too soon. And I want to know at what point it's okay to make a joke about an assassination, about a a major. I mean, like if we were talking. You're asking what is too soon. Yeah. And I I also want to know. I want to know this from the perspective of a person making their way through the stand-up comedy scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wish that I had prepared for this because there's an interesting, um, there was some interesting history and I don't know it well enough to to talk it through after 9-11. And, um, right, uh, Lorne Michaels saying, is it okay if, is it okay to be funny? And the mayor saying, why start now? But it was, I mean, it was a, they they staged that and and made it a, I mean, what a freaking brilliant way to handle it. Okay, we're going to come back now and do this little comedy show after this tragedy. Is that okay? New York, is that okay? Um, that was handled so beautifully. Other people got in trouble for too soon. Gilbert Gottfried, I think. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Well, he, that right? he's always, uh, that's his brand. Well, that's my point. Too soon depends from the comedian standpoint what effect you want to have. Uh-huh. I mean, first of all, is it funny? Is my <laughs> my favorite thing to ask about a joke, right? And I'm not always funny with my jokes. <laughs> I am not that good a comedian. <laughs> Other people are, and I appreciate it. I am a... I am a lover of good comedy, not maybe a maker of it. Um, I think it depends on what you want to do. No, is it saying pattern dress? That's a funny joke. Is it too soon? No. Will some people be offended by it? Sure, because they care about Jackie Kennedy or they have more of a personal connection to that cultural icon and the president himself who was shot, right? Um, okay, so what is too soon? Too soon, honest to God, to me, depends on what effect do you want to have. So if he's saying that joke about... Jackie Kennedy, that's a, that's actually fun. I actually, I went to Wikipedia. Did and you look I, up too soon? No, I pulled up list of disasters in the United States by death toll. All right. And I sorted by date. So now we're going backwards. We're going to find the point in time where things start being funny. Okay, you really are going to pursue this in a chronological manner. All right, later. Yeah, how else would you solve this problem? Because I think it depends upon, you can come out the next day after a tragedy and say something. Uh-huh. And it's too soon for some people and not for other people or they know it's funny listener dependent it's totally listener it's a hundred percent listener dependent and then you decide well uh, do i care i mean the reason you don't do that the reason you don't come out and say something about a tragedy is because you are being uh respectful of the the feelings about it right and often comedy is not being respectful about people's it's about breaking those boundaries it's about being inappropriate a heck of a lot of Lanes in comedy lead to breaking a convention. That's what's funny. Turning a thing on its head. Saying something lighthearted about a tragedy, that's literally the description of funny. It's turning something upside down on its head, right? Sometimes funny is not laugh out loud funny. Sometimes it is a lot of other things, right? Um, So I don't think it's chronological. I think it's listener dependent. And I think that it depends on what your goal is as the comedian. Sometimes you want to be offensive to point something out. To, to, to you're, It's satire. You're calling attention to the foibles of society by making fun of them really soon after it happens. But if you want to go chronological and just in general, so for like the zeitgeist, how many years is too soon? You think you can do that? You think you can name that, Mr. Data well, Scientist? So, so I'm interested here. Um, and I, I guess there are some, some uh, shades of gray here because the first two items on this list of... Uh, Disasters in the United States by death toll, and I'm looking at the list of over 400 deaths here. The the first two are weather related. They're um, they are hurricanes. Hurricane Maria is number one in well number not number one in uh, deaths, but number one chronologically. The most okay. recent 
mass disaster we've had in the United States with more than 400 deaths, Wikipedia says is Hurricane Maria, followed by Hurricane Katrina. We're going reverse chronologically now. And then the the first one that feels like a, a real tragedy to me, I mean, like the hurricanes, clearly they're tragedies. They right. caused a lot of damage. They killed a lot of people. But it doesn't feel like something you can't make a joke about. Right. And I don't think it felt, well, maybe it felt like that a week after. But that, that. Uh, doesn't that, seem as dangerous. It doesn't seem as hot a bed. It, it became okay to make jokes about that much sooner than it did 9-11. Yeah. Which, which is the next one. So we've got okay. hurricanes in 2017 and 2005. All right. All right, Andrew, I got to back up for a second. Because okay. now we got to discuss the the science problem that we're doing right here. Because you're, you have decided to name, to measure a thing. And we're going to talk about disasters. 400 people or more, right? You have to do it. You have to name your thing. But... 9-11 is the next one. Then, I mean, we have had since then so many other things that are just as almost as horrible for our country in terms of things you can't joke about, like school shootings, don't you think? Like, I'm just questioning that that's the measure. But we'll, let's go for it. Go for it. 9-11 is the, the most recent one of mass Yep, yep, yep. And then we've got, we've got heat waves in 1995 and 1980. In 1995, I did not know this. I was I was alive. I was two years old and not paying attention, I guess. There were 739 people that died in the Chicago heat wave of that. 1995. I remember that. I That's know. insane. It was insane. Yeah, it was insane. Yeah. 739. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, so 739 people is a lot of people. But I will bet you that people were making jokes about how hot it was in Chicago the week of. Sure. Sure, and I, I kind of wonder what the uh, what the death count is when you compare 739 people who died in a heat wave to school shootings this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that number is much bigger, I would imagine, than the school shootings. I know, I know. So that's the thing. Maybe, like maybe a hundred times bigger. So so yeah. So perhaps the yeah, I would guess. Yeah, I would guess that the um, right. So that the way we define tragedy, maybe the too soon part has it's not just about the has, number has of people dying. Much more to do with the type of event the than, it, than it has event. to do with the actual death toll. Sure, which is interesting. Uh, I want to know. So in 1978, do you know what happened in 1978? That was a big deal. Gas crisis. Jonestown. Oh, was that really 1978? Mm-hmm. That's okay to joke about, right? Oh, yeah. People make jokes okay, about that all the time. Thing. People make jokes about it all the time. I graduated high school. I was in high school in 1984. I was. It was not my senior year. So what, what year did you say it was? 78? 78. So by 84, a, a class of seniors made a morning, for their senior prank, made a morning announcement. All the seniors, please meet out on the front lawn. And they all went out there and drank Kool-Aid, little cups of Kool-Aid, and died. I mean, lay down on the lawn and, like, did, did that. <laughs> and it was seen to be pretty tasteless. And, um, um, you know, the, the adults were pretty grossed out by it. Like, that is inappropriate. But it was pretty funny. I don't know. I was a teenager, so I was hilarious. Everything's funny when you're Exactly when you're right. Especially inappropriate Fall out shit. of your chair funny. The best. Oh, God. <laughs> um, they always fall out of their chairs, teenagers. So that's, so that's interesting that that was a mass. How many people was that? Mm, let me find it again. That's mm. ooh. You want to know? It's ooh. a big number, nine hundred nine. Wow, I watched some documentary about that. Mm, that was interesting and creepy. So okay, yeah, it depends on the kind of tragedy, Andrew. It depends on what nerve it strikes. Think of this also, okay? If you have, um, let's say, a hate crime against, um, oh my gosh, pick your category. It says there's one person affected and maybe it's, you know, but it, it, it strikes a chord in the community. One person's affected. There's a hate crime committed. The people, you know, that, that becomes a binary thing sometimes. The people who are on the side of the hater can probably make jokes about that much quicker than the people on the group that feels being attacked or, or persecuted. You know what I mean? I mean, come on. It's, it's co- totally context and based on the listener. If you walk into a Catholic church and tell a joke, about Catholics that is truly whatever, painful, inappropriate or something, that's going to really not probably get the laughs at a place that, that if you told it at a place that's active, at the Unitarian Church where they think Catholics are crazy. You know, I mean, I, I think it's completely listener-based and then the too soon thing. But also the joke too soon can be such a funny joke. Like it's the, the example it, used right here in the podcast you brought it up. It's soon. the it's the inverse law of humor. It's funny because uh, because you don't know if people are prepared to laugh about it. Right. Like it's gonna be it's gonna be super funny to that person who who doesn't give two shits. 
and they just they're just losing their mind because they're the only one who's comfortable enough to laugh or something. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. there's the the inverse law of humor. Uh, you think about it as a joke that may only appeal to four or five people, but it changes, right? Uh-huh. I mean, it, th- this joke, uh, what's what's controversial and racy uh, a week after an event may be totally benign uh, three months after yeah, an yeah, event. Yeah. So the, 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 it's it's interesting to think that the inverse law of humor is not necessarily a constant number. It's not always funny to five people. It's gonna it's gonna ebb and flow oh, with yes. the with the culture and mm. and. Perception. Ephemera. Comedy is ephemera. A joke is a joke. It's just out there in the world. Does Always it in fall flux. in the forest or not? And that's right. <laughs> it all is within the context. I also liked recently I heard a guy telling a joke. I heard two different ones. And one, it was used exactly, it was used in different ways. One guy told a joke and he was actually telling a joke that was about like the Civil War or something, or maybe even further back, like in America's early history. And the joke just wasn't funny or didn't land that day or didn't get a, didn't get a laugh. And he goes, too soon. Okay, American Revolution, too soon. And that was a funny way to cover up for it. It just was, it didn't get a laugh. And that was a funny, then it was funny when he said too soon. And then I heard a guy also, I think it was at Crowdwork, saying something about reparations and whatever. And then that was also like too soon. So those are funny, those are funny little taglines sometimes to use, um, yeah, to point it out. Anyway, the inverse law of humor. What's funny, Andrew? When is something funny? And you know what? Like I was saying earlier, I often say things out of my brain to be funny. Sometimes it's a quick little thing that I'm getting from a movie or a pull from my own little life. And sometimes it's just I'm being I'm showing off and being funny. And literally I hurt people's feelings and I am blessed hashtag when people come to me and say what you just said hurt my feelings because then I can say uh, I'm sorry, and I can look back at that and understand it. I, I am sorry for the times that I have said things crass and hurt people's feelings and I don't know about it because it's really rarely my intent to hurt people's feelings. And sometimes I'm just being a, an idiot because I think I'm being hilarious. I, I mean, I used to get into trouble for that as a kid, and it felt very much like naughty. <laughs> to, I don't want to hurt people's feelings. You know feelings. why, Mrs. Phil? Showing off. Hmm. Because you were there, you were just a, a young girl. It's just a kid. And you were bringing the ruckus. Joke. I was bringing the ruckus. I was trying to bring the ruckus from way back. <laughs> OG ruckus bringer. That's why it's so easy here on the podcast today. You've been mm. doing it for years. Yeah, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings, anyone. <laughs> uh, all right. Bye, Andrew. Goodbye, Mrs. Bill Holm. 